0: 1. There are Bibles in the back. I'll show the main verse on the screen to my right. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're in a little series that we're calling Being a Gospel-Centered Community. We're seeing from God's Word what it looks like to be a people built around what's called the gospel, the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray and ask for God's help, and Nick's going to read our passage Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for how you've met us already, the songs we sang, reciting, historic creed together, and now, Holy Spirit, would you fill us, and would you grant us the gift of illumination, open the eyes of our hearts, let us behold wondrous things out of your word, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.
1: 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 10 through 17 let us hear the word of the lord I appeal to you brothers by the name of our lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power.
0: Thank you, Nick, very much. I was skimming through the radio stations recently as I was driving, and I was struck by some familiar words, words written by John Lennon. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. It goes on. You may say, I'm a dreamer, sing it with me, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. Yeah, I will be auditioning later on, Scott. Now there are, of course, major problems with that song. Talks about no heaven, no hell and no religion. Even the line, no possessions, is an unbiblical one. And yet I was struck by something. I was struck by the vision for unity in those words as well. Did you hear it? A brotherhood of man and sisterhood. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. You know, as it relates to the church of Jesus Christ, that vision is going to take place in the future, and it is to be increasingly happening for us in the present. You might say God is peering out to us from His Word in this passage and asking us a question, asking us how closely, Grace Church, how closely does your present line up with that future vision? How closely? How, how closely are you living out a, a brotherhood and, and sisterhood of, of mankind, living together as one? How well, you might imagine God asking, how well are you lining up with this vision of unity in your own life, or or do some adjustments need to be made? John Lennon was onto something a compelling and challenging vision described in this passage. I'm not saying he got it from this passage. (laughs) I'm saying it's here in this passage for the church. So let's ask this. Let's ask two questions. Let's ask what this vision is. What are we called to do here? And then ask how. What are we called to do here? And how? First, the what? First, we are to zealously guard unity in Christ. At least that's my summation. Zealously guard unity in Jesus. We've seen the Apostle's introduction to this letter, and he left off in verse 9 saying, you are called Corinthian believers. You're called to fellowship with God's Son, Jesus Christ. And then in our passage, it begins with a little word that isn't translated, but could be translated, but... (laughs) You're called into fellowship with God's Son, uh, but Houston, we have a problem. Verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting. It is an appeal, (laughs) but it's a strong appeal. I appeal to you... Oh by the name of Jesus Christ, with the authority and presence of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So right away, God should have our attention, shouldn't he? Here's a a weighty appeal in verse 10 about our unity, as the verse continues, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions, no divisions among you, but that you be united or knit together in the same mind and the same judgment or opinion. So, so the Apostle is appealing to his readers about their unity both negatively and positively. Negatively, he says, I appeal that it be no divisions among you, none. And the, the word here could be translated in the idea of, of tearing. No no tears in the fabric of your unity together. No tears in that fabric. Instead, positively, he says, he wants them united in three ways. He says, first, that you all agree. And the idea is a euphemism here of saying the same thing. I want you to say the same thing or agree. And then second, that you be united or knit together with the same mind. Notice that. And then third, that you have the same judgment or opinion. So in the original language, he uses the word same three times. You think he's saying something? I want you to be saying the same thing, having the same mind, using the same judgment. Do that and you will be knit together. You will knit back the, the fabric of your unity in the name of The Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, do you feel the strength of this appeal? It's a forceful appeal to you and me. That's why I sum it up as zealously guard. To feel the strength of this. Zealously guard unity. Because God is taking our unity here very, very seriously. Now, with all of this talk about same mind and same judgment, I don't want us to misunderstand something. This call to unity is not a call to uniformity. Okay? Unity is not the same thing as uniformity. Unif- uniformi- uniformity means we are all just cookie-cutter Christians, and the apostle is not calling for uniformity. In fact, in this same letter, he's going to call them to be sensitive to differing convictions of conscience. In chapter 8, be sensitive to differing convictions among you. In chapter 12, he's going to call them to appreciate the vast diversity of spiritual gifts. You're going to need all of them, Corinthians. So the Apostle Paul is all for diversity within unity. And friends, we should be as well. I pray, I pray God gives us more and more racial diversity. Pray for that. We have diversity in how we educate our children. Not all in the same way. There's not uniformity there. We have diversity in our preferences of music and our, our worship music. We're not uniform, uniform there. We have different doctrinal views on secondary matters. We're not uniform in our economic situation, our age, or or season of life. And friends, we're not called to uniformity. We're called to unity. And that's what was being damaged in Corinth as we read on, verse 11. For, well, here's the reason for my appeal. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is Quarreling among you, my brothers and sisters. Now, we're not sure who Chloe was, but she has people connected with her. They might be people in her own household or people connected with her business interests. We don't know. Nevertheless, Chloe's people have informed the Apostle Paul as he's over in Ephesus. They've informed him about some quarreling in the church in Corinth, some some rivalries, some, some disputes some disputes specifically revolving around their over-identification with various human leaders. Notice verse 12. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, that's Peter, or I follow Christ. And you could read this more literally as, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Peter, and maybe they're referring to the individual, the leader who had originally baptized them, or perhaps the leader they thought was the more impressive orator. We're not sure. But disputes were happening, quarrels were taking place because of this over-identification with human leadership. And I say over-identification intentionally because the Apostle is not against human leadership. He's not putting human leadership down. In fact, this last category that's perhaps a little bit confusing, the last group that says, I follow Christ, probably are people who are saying, I don't need any human leadership. I've risen above the fray. I'm a self-made Christian. The spiritual elite. Now, Paul is not negating human leadership. The problem was... They were identifying with human leaders in a way that was more important to them than their identification with Jesus. That was the problem. It's really a hard issue. Identifying more with human leaders as more important than identifying with Jesus himself. And that led to quarreling. That led to disputes. That led to rivalries. I was, I was recently in a meeting with some pastors from parts of our city and there was a leader there from a particular denomination he said something interesting he said in my denomination we fight well he said we fight for truth and that's a good thing we fight for truth but then he said if we're not fighting for something we start fighting each other and isn't that how it is in the church so often Larry Osborne, a pastor and teacher, author, he has written, I don't think it's an accident that Jesus predicted church growth, but prayed for unity. Friends, God calls us here to zealously guard our unity in Christ, to guard against quarrels, to guard against rivalries, to guard against disputes, between us so let's ask ourselves what might we quarrel about what might we have disputes and, and rivalries about ourselves I don't think I don't think anyone is saying I'm of Tab and I'm of Joshua and I'm of Marshall and I'm of Steve I don't I've, I've not heard that taking place so how, how might this happen for us where might disputes and rivalries, quarreling take place among us, brothers and sisters? I think there are many ways we could apply this, many scenarios we could run, but as elders we've been thinking recently more about one, one potential area of quarreling, and that's the arena of politics, a very non-controversial area, of course, the area of politics, the catchphrase of the day as it relates to politics is polarization as a nation we're becoming further and further apart on these poles politically and that makes its way into the church sometimes we can say in effect in effect i'm of donald i'm of the republicans or i'm of joe i'm of bernie I'm of Elizabeth, I'm of the Democrats, or I'm of the Libertarians, or some other group. In a way that's a lot like what was happening in Corinth. Identifying with a human leader as more important to us than how we identify with Jesus. I'm not putting down a political affiliation. I'm just saying what's happening in our hearts and the answer is not well we just need to all vote the same way well we just need to align grace church with one political party put it in the bulletin no the answer is to friends overly avoid rather avoid overly identifying with a political leader or party over our identif- identification with jesus it's when it's when we're more passionate about that political identification than we are about Jesus Christ. That's what leads to quarreling, disputes, rivalries. What we need, friends, I think was summed up really well in a recent blog post from the Gospel Coalition, a blog post entitled, How Christians Can Prepare for the 2020 Election." This is germane for us, is it not? How Christians can prepare for the 2020 election, election, Daniel Bennett writes the following. He says, political affiliation is not our identity. We are to be Christians first, first friends, in thought, word, and deed. No matter how often you hear commentators declare 2020, quote, the most important election of our lifetime, Don't buy into the perspective that the stakes of any one election are greater than the stakes of a compromised witness that besmirches the name of Jesus. Our hope, he says, is eternal. Our hope is eternal which is infinitely longer than four years in the White House or 30 years on the Supreme Court, in light of this, friends, magnificent hope, he writes, in light of this magnificent hope, it makes little sense to panic over cultural setbacks or to compromise convictions to better compete in contemporary political battles. Our hope, he goes on to say, our hope is holy in Christ. Isn't that well said? He's saying our political, I'm sorry, our primary identification, our primary identification is with one political leader, leader a king. King Jesus himself. And if we don't have this perspective, we will quarrel, we will have rivalries, and we will have disputes. We may not We may not quarrel on Sundays. We usually come with our, you know, nice face on. We may not even quarrel in our home groups. But I think, I think where we can be tempted to quarrel most, perhaps, is with what we might post on social media. Can we not, perhaps, friends, get a little quarrelsome? on Facebook, or maybe Twitter, or maybe a comment on Instagram. That might be a bit more of the temptation sometimes. We have freedom of speech to be sure as citizens of the United States, but not in an absolute sense as citizens of heaven. So take this call to guard unity and apply it to social media. Let's just do a little laboratory work. When you post about political matters, ask yourself a hard question. Am I posting for constructive dialogue or really destructive quarreling? And what's, what's my motive here? To, to exchange views and listen to each other or to Quarrel and merely dispute? Ask a motive question? Ask, ask a tone question as well, an, an attitude question. What does my post or tweet communicate in attitude or tone? Is it, is it the tone of talk radio? Or is it the tone of someone guarding unity? I'm not saying don't post. I'm not saying don't tweet. I'm not saying don't comment. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying before you tweet or post or comment, ask yourself what might this post communicate to a brother or sister in Christ who disagrees with me politically? Will my post communicate to that brother or sister in Christ, you are a total idiot, a total numbskull to vote for that person? How could you do that? You're basically a bad person. You're basically evil. Or will my post communicate, I welcome constructive dialogue. Let's exchange views and learn from each other. I trust you agree. Christ is our identity more than Donald or Joe or Bernie or Elizabeth. So friends, for any difference we have, for any difference we have, let us zealously guard unity in Christ. That's the what. What about the how? How do we do that? Well, secondly, we rightly center unity on Christ. Here's how. We rightly center unity Our unity always on Jesus Christ. See, with three rhetorical questions, the apostle goes on to address the Corinthian quarreling. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, he begins, Is Christ divided? Has Christ been divided up, Corinthians? Here's a little bit of Jesus for the Paul group, a little bit of Jesus for the Apollos group, a little bit of Jesus for the Peter group. Has Christ been dismembered like that? No. As Leon Morris puts it, Christ is one, and the church, which is his body, must be one. That's what the apostle is saying. Christ is one, so his body must be one. Second question, verse 13. Second question, was Paul crucified for you? Was Paul crucified for you? You who want to elevate human leaders, did Did any human leader hang on a Roman cross for you? Did any of them provide a substitutionary, sacrificial death, atoning in full for your sins? Did any bear the wrath of God you deserve in your place? Only the God-man did that. And Jesus alone, friends, let me just add, Jesus alone paid for all of our quarreling and all of our disputing. And any rivalries that you might be aware of. So be aware of grace. (laughs) Thanks be to God for His grace. Let's remember the only one who was crucified for us. And, And if you've yet to turn to Him, if you've yet to trust in Him, let me add, He alone can take away your sins. You can't take your own sins away. You can't remove them yourself. But the God-man Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose to take them away. If you will turn to Him, submit to Him, and hope in Him alone, He will bring you to God. I urge you to turn to Him right now. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified? And the third question, Or were you baptized? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Baptism, in part, is like a spiritual pledge of allegiance. <laughs> Christian baptism is saying, I pledge my allegiance to the flag most fundamentally of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christian baptism is a, is a political declaration that my highest loyalty is to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Which leads the apostle to say, I'm so glad I didn't baptize but a few of you. Not because he doesn't believe in baptism, because he's glad he didn't give more reason for them to dispute and quarrel. Like, jeepers. So glad I just baptized a few of you all. And besides, that's not his focus, he says, in this glorious verse, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, we'll see next week how he develops that idea. But for now, friends, notice something. Notice that God is not calling us to unity at the expense of truth, as some Christians have attempted. He says, Jesus is not divided. Jesus was crucified for you. You've been baptized into the name of Jesus alone. God is not calling us to unity at the expense of truth. He's calling us to unity based on truth. He's calling us to unity built on truth. He's calling us to rightly center unity always on Jesus. Now, people who teach preaching say, never use a sports illustration, because not everyone's a sports fan. But I'd like to attempt a sports illustration. Is that okay? I'm going to explain it as best I can. Bear with me. I think what you see pictured here is pictured in a way when some of the pro sports teams have their all-star game, or in football, the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl is when the best players at each position play together, but they don't play for their individual team. They play for their conference. There are two conferences in football, the AFC and the NFC. And so that's the Pro Bowl. It's AFC versus NFC. Now, let's just pretend the AFC is all, they're all wearing a red jersey, and let's say the NFC players are all wearing a blue jersey. Two teams, red and blue, AFC, NFC. What I think is interesting is the players wear the helmet of their individual team, so it looks really odd. Same jerseys, different helmets. So you might have two guys in red. One of them's got an L.A. Chargers helmet on. Sorry, Chargers fans. And then the other guy's got the despised Oakland Raiders helmet on. Sorry, Sarah. And you've got guys in blue, one's wearing his beloved Chicago Bears helmet, and the other has his despised Green Bay Packer helmet on. Sorry, Dan Arthur. Now, these guys have been knocking each other out all season long. They've been going at it on the field all season long, and now they're on the same team. Now they're wearing the same jerseys. Now they're supposed to work together and try to score together and win this game. It's a picture of the fact that there is not perfect uniformity. They have different helmets. But there is unity. Same jerseys. It's a picture of diversity within a greater unity. Diversity within a greater unity. That's what we're called to. Diversity within a gospel unity. For instance, we have, as I mentioned, differing preferences on worship music. We can wear our different musical helmets. That's fine. But we better make sure we know what jersey we're wearing, right? When we do that, we remember, you know, I got the jersey of Jesus on. I didn't prefer that song we sang, but it mentioned the cross of Jesus Christ. So you know what? I'm in. I'm going to sing that with all my heart. Diversity within gospel unity. We have our different preferences of educational means. Friends, we can have different educational helmets on, and that's okay. But we say to each other, I'm so glad we're wearing the same jersey. That's what matters most to me in my heart. So let's support each other. Let's help each other. Let's pray for each other because we're joined together in Christ. We can have different doctrinal convictions on secondary or tertiary matters, like the expression of particular spiritual gifts, which we're going to come to. You can wear your own spiritual gift helmet, however you're convinced from Scripture. As long as we prioritize the same jersey, the one who lived, died, and rose for us, it is Diversity within gospel unity. We can do the same for politics, right? We can and we do have different political helmets we wear in Grace Church. Different political helmets among our membership. But on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, we can exchange views and learn from each other without quarreling As we remember one person was crucified for us, we wear his jersey, we're on the same team. That's how we rightly center unity. But you know, a better picture of this is not from the world of sports. A better picture of this is from Revelation chapter 7. A better picture of this is John's vision of the future of the church of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 7. Let me read it to you. The apostle John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude which, that no one could number from every nation, every nation, from all tribes and peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, cleansed of all our sin, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now friends, did you catch what a diverse picture that is? That is the most diverse group imaginable. People from every single nation are there. People from all tribes are there. People from all languages are there. It's the greatest diversity you can imagine, but they are entirely perfectly unified. Why? Because Christ is not divided for us, because Christ was crucified for us, because we're baptized into His name. And so together, brothers and sisters, we will cry out, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. It is a glorious biblical picture of diversity within gospel unity. That's our future and is to be increasingly our presence. Can you see how John Lennon was onto something? He had a lot of things wrong. But give him a little credit. There's a picture, in a way, of our future a brotherhood and sisterhood joined together. As one, we must, friends, here zealously guard unity in Christ by rightly centering unity on Christ. That's how God is addressing us. Zealously guard, preserve, protect unity in Christ by always coming back to the matter of first importance and rightly centering unity on Christ. We're going to end by celebrating Jesus. We're going to end by celebrating our King who joins us together by taking the Lord's Supper